0: One, two, three,
1: four. Welcome, the crazy Chester. Welcome, the crazy Chester.
0: Welcome to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. My name is Andreas Warner. I'm a record producer, songwriter, and owner of Crazy Chester Records. The theme song you just heard is performed by Wet Willie's Jimmy Hall and Funky Chester. The Crazy Chester Radio Hour is a weekly music talk podcast featuring an eclectic group of guests with musical hearts, minds, and souls. And many of the episodes will dive deep into the rich history of music mecca muscle shows. My guest today is Dickie Lee. Dickie is a member of the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame with many number one songs to his credit. His signature song, She Thinks I Still Care, has been recorded hundreds of times, including classic recordings by George Jones, Elvis Presley, and Murray, and Leon Russell. As an artist, Dickie had a string of rock and roll hits in the 50s, including Patches and I Saw Linda Yesterday, before having success as a country artist in Nashville. Dickie, welcome to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thanks, Andres. I'm glad to be here.
0: Thank you. You you grew up in Memphis. What's what's your earliest memory of music?
1: Oh boy, I uh, I my earliest memory of music was listening to the Grand Ole Opry when I was in junior high school, and I. Uh, on the radio to get the Grand Ole Opry down in Memphis and I loved country music. And <clears throat> I kind of kind of evolved into rock and roll because Elvis came along in the in the mid fifties and I really got into that too.
0: Was that uh, when you started becoming a musician too? That's you?
1: yeah, that's about the time uh, I got started. Actually well actually it was a little before that. I, I bought an old, I remember my first guitar I bought at a pawn shop. I think it cost $8, and uh, it was a Stella guitar. You ever seen a Stella? Absolutely. And, and the strings were about an inch off the fretboards, you know, and I didn't know any better, and they were just killing my killing my fingers. But it was, I'm left-handed, and it was a right-handed guitar, so I, I bought this guitar, and I changed the strings around. But uh, that was that's so how I got started and then I just I learned I learned these country songs off the radio get some of those old country song books and uh, just uh, play those old country songs I remember my my favorite artist back then uh, was Webb Pierce and uh, big country artist back in the 50s and that's how that's that's what got me going I guess
0: yeah did. When did, when did you start writing your own, own songs? Was that fairly early on?
1: Well, I, I started writing then too. You know, and I I didn't think much about it. I just I wasn't thinking about, oh, I want to write songs. I was just writing these songs. Of course, they were horrible songs, you know, back then. Uh but I wrote a few and uh of course, wasn't doing anything with them. Just writing them for myself. And uh I uh I later on as as I as I got into high school, uh I, that's when I really kind of got into the rock and roll because Elvis uh, was a big influence on me as far as just changing my mode of music. But I never stopped loving country music. I've always loved country music, and in fact, I you know I had a I had a rock and roll career, and then I, I later on had a country career as a recording artist. Yeah. So I've done a little and and a songwriting career. So I've done a little bit of everything, I guess.
0: So, you were still in high school. Was music already a path that you thought, well, that might be my life, or is that something that kind of gradually evolved? Uh, you know, I think
1: when I got in high school, I thought, boy, this is what I'd really love to do. Uh, and, you know, I, I think you know it was such a dream. You know, I never, you know, when, when you're really wanting to do something bad, you really don't see the obstacles or anything. It's just, just man this is what i really want to do and that's kind of the way i thought you know i I, I never thought about doing anything else in fact that was the only the only two jobs i ever had uh outside of music i I was a lifeguard uh and i worked at a truck lines a couple years loading trucks on the docks when i was going to college yeah
0: but fairly early on you you were got other people in the industry interested in you as an artist too how how did that happen
1: well you know when but when i when i started when i first started uh going after i got out of high school i went to, to memphis state university and uh <clears throat> i had my own band uh and was playing you know playing uh you know these college and uh sororities and fraternity gigs and just just kind of around the memphis the, the local area and i i went to uh there was a disc jockey uh back then his name was dewey phillips had a show called red hot and blue and uh all the kids loved him you know so i went up to his show one night it it was it was on the uh, second floor of a hotel and uh i just went up there and waited for him to get off the air and ask him if he'd listen to a couple of songs and he and you know he did he said yeah i'll listen you know and uh I played a couple of songs for him that I'd written, and he said, uh, "You know, those are pretty good songs." He said, "Have you got a band?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, uh, been playing around some." And he said, "Well, he said, you get your band, and we'll come back up here, and, and uh, we'll record them in the in the radio studio. It's WHBQ radio, and we did that. Later on, I got my band in the studio, and we recorded it, and he got it with a little label." Uh, and it was a local hit a song called Dream Boy, backed up with Stay True, baby. It was a two-sided hit, and it came out the very same time they released it. The very same time that Elvis had, uh, R.C. had released. Uh, oh gosh, I think it was All Shook Up, and my song followed his song all the way up the charts. I would stay. I was one slot behind him all the way. He went to number one. I went to number two. And I never got to number one. Because he was always ahead of me. But you know, and it it was in those local charts in Memphis gosh probably for about twenty weeks or something, just a really long time. But uh that was that was my first record and through that record, uh, Dewey Phillips got me on Sun Records. And that's how I got to that's how I got to Sun.
0: Yeah. And you have many more hits as a rock and roll artist too in the late fifties and uh, on, on different labels. But after that, you decide to come to Nashville.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the second half of your artist career, as you mentioned, was mainly country music. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that you've already listened to country music. So how did that transition happen for you? Was that something natural? Is it something you had to force somehow?
1: No, I, I was, you know, when I was, doing rock and roll i remember i would i would sing country songs for some of the performers that were friends of mine backstage i would sing them my country songs you know uh there were there were a lot of rock and roll acts that really loved country music for instance a couple of guys uh uh lou christie and uh, brian highland they loved country music and later on in fact i brought uh lou came down here uh and we went to the grand Ole Opry together i got the shirelles on the grand Ole Opry one night uh, but i should have been a booking agent but anyway that's uh the whole time i was i was doing my rock and roll i was i was really digging country music and then you know i, I had met when i was on sun records we didn't have any hit records on sun really but the cool thing about being on sun uh it's it, it's so known over the whole world the label is uh that just being on that label made you a star in other countries just being on sun records and uh so yeah. that was a, that was a great thing for me
0: there's and, a huge legacy there with all these great performers and obviously Sam exactly. phillips
1: yeah and not, uh my the engineer at sun records at the time was jack clement who worked for sam we got to be really good friends and that's how i got to nashville when sam i mean when jack left son eventually went to uh nashville he got uh he got me to come come up to nashville and i and i you know i didn't have any i didn't have any trouble you know doing country because i'd always loved country anyway and they they signed me i got to deal with rca records and uh, i remember going to and they signed me uh as a rock and roll artist really and uh i was probably probably one of the few rock and roll artists that you know that had been signed in nashville on rca but i went to chet atkins and i asked him if i could if i could do some country music and he said give it a try and uh it worked so we had a lot of hits on rca i was i recorded for rca from 1970 to 1980 and uh we had a lot of hits and had a lot of fun
0: yeah, and on some of those records, you could hear still a little bit of a rock and roll thing. Oh yeah, I got big yeah. song of love is to me an yeah.
1: Uh, Nine million tears. A That's lot of those true. songs were yeah. They had they had a little rock in them, but but country country radio accepted them, so it worked out for me.
0: Yeah, and you're so well known as a as a songwriter, but you also managed to record a few songs by other people. You had Rocky by Austin Roberts. Yeah. And Never Ending Song of Love, which was a D- Delaney Bramlett song. How right. how were some of those songs selected?
1: Uh, well, you know, the now that, that Austin Roberts, he didn't write that song. Uh, it was written by a guy in Springfield, Missouri. But Austin, it had a pop, uh, a pop hit on it it was well actually the song came out and nothing happened and uh somehow my producer roy day uh was my producer roy at rca at the time somebody had given him a copy of this song uh the publisher actually <clears throat> and we uh, we we i love the song rocky and we recorded it and but it was strictly for the country market and when our song came out it really took off and when it took off They got back on Austin Roberts' record in the pop field, and and his record also became a top-ten record. But his record I don't think would have happened if it hadn't been for my record, Happening Country, which was, you know, that was kind of weird and kind of neat.
0: Absolutely. And
1: Austin and I, we're good friends today. You know, we got to know each other and been friends for years.
0: Yeah. Now, even before you started your tenure on uh, RCA, you you wrote what's probably your most signature song, and that she thinks I still care. Were you still in Memphis when you wrote that song?
1: Yeah, I was. I was in Memphis, and I was writing for Jack. I was writing for his publishing company. I uh, wrote the song, and he got it to George Jones, and he George had the first record on it. And uh, you know, and and uh, George had a big record with it, and I thought uh, that was that was the biggest success I'd ever had as a songwriter. And I thought, you know, once the George Jones record was over, you know, that was you know, it was over, the song was over. And I mean I mean, since then countless countless artists have recorded that song.
0: And it still gets recorded
1: but all
0: the time. It
1: really does. It's just amazing. It's amazing. I remember George Jones recorded the song. I think he had a hit record with it in nineteen sixty three, I believe it was. And I know by nineteen seventy five, uh, my Canadian publishing representative told me there had been over five hundred recordings on it, and today I I couldn't begin to tell you. But I've even pitched it to people, and they said, "Hey, I've already done that song." <laughs> but it's, uh, I mean, it it seems like everybody in the in the music industry's done it almost.
0: Yeah, one obviously one of the most recognizable recordings is the one by Elvis. Yeah. Um, did you? knew elvis personally growing up in memphis or what was your Uh, connection to
1: i met elvis yeah i met elvis in memphis while i was recording and he he invited me out to his home uh, and i'd been out there some and uh and we were uh you know we got to be good friends and uh he uh he encouraged me a lot and and in fact he told me uh i'm trying to get my ears straight i know Uh, after i'd known him for a while after george jones this this was maybe this was maybe uh seven or eight years after George, george jones had recorded she thinks i still care uh elvis told me one day he said hey i'm gonna record that song of yours one day and uh i said really i said well you know you were the first one it was pitched to and uh he said well are you kidding me and i said no and i had actually given it to a guy that had worked for him and he said i I want to get this to elvis and uh, he said i don't don't know what happened you know evidently they never got it to him but uh the way the way elvis heard that song there was a disc jockey uh who was a close friend of elvis's in memphis by the name of george klein i don't know if you're familiar with george or not but but george would send when elvis was in the army george would send him records all the time you know the the, the hits that were happening over in this country and Little Willie John had a record of that. You know, it's a real soul record on it, and he sent that record to Elvis, and he heard it, and that's uh, that's what really got him knocked out on the song. And he eventually did it. In fact, uh, he recut it. He recorded it twice. He had two different versions of it. They both been released in albums. First one was in Moody Blue, but uh, he they he came they came out they released an album on him last year called The Jungle Room. And uh, it actually had three cuts of She Thinks I Still Care on the same album. And what they did, they had the original cut, then the second cut he did, and then they had uh, they had a lot of his outtakes that they put on the album, and, and She Thinks I Still Care was one of the outtake cuts also. So it was like having three songs in one Elvis album, but they were all the same song, which is probably pretty unusual.
0: Yeah. Another great recording that I love is a Leon Russell's version. Oh, and yeah. That's one yeah. I like particularly. Now, earlier you mentioned Cabo Jack Clement as mm-hmm. somebody instrumental in your career, but somebody you go back long ways to is Alan Reynolds. Yeah. And obviously, a lot of people know him for being Garth Brooks' producer and having a lot of success doing that. Right. How did you hook up with him?
1: Well, we were both uh I was going to to Memphis State University, it's University of Memphis now, and he was going to uh Southwestern in Memphis, which is Rhodes College, and uh I when I put a band together, I I had a I had a bass player and uh and he was going to move or something he couldn't do it, so he recommended he recommended Allen. So Allen, that's how I got Allen in my band and actually he started singing he i had a couple two three singers in the band and they were all from alan introduced me to a couple of them they were all from uh southwestern too so i had a a neat rock and roll band and had three background singers and that's how uh alan got to really be in my band and become a a large part of it and like i say we would play these college fraternities and sororities around the mid-south some of the schools and uh alan and i got to be very close and then when i went to sun of course he was in my band and and alan and jack and i really hit it off so later on when jack moved to nashville he he got alan and me to move to nashville too that's that's how we got up there so alan and i actually came to uh, nashville together okay. and, and we came up here really to do a lot of writing too
0: yeah and uh
1: course I I didn't know Alan he didn't either he didn't realize he was gonna be Garth Brooks producer <laughs> so that worked out pretty well for him absolutely
0: now there's this I think it's a really neat story because it's also one of these songs that develop an afterlife you wrote a song called Memphis Beat mm-hmm. that Jerry Lee Lewis recorded yeah you told me that he even Named his band, Memphis Beat. Can you tell me a little bit about how how that song came about? Well, Alan
1: and I wrote that, too, with a friend of ours. His name was Mitt Addington, and he's a guy that we would write with some when we were in Memphis, and he was actually a a university professor. Uh, He he, uh, taught psychology, and uh, we wrote together, and the three of us wrote that song. And and Jerry Lee, uh, we got it to him. It was always around the middle 60s. And he recorded it and uh, put it out, and he named his band The Memphis Beat. And uh, later on, you know, it, it nothing great happened with it. Jerry Lee recorded it. Uh, and and we're talking middle 60s. Well, back about 2014, I started getting BMI royalties on Memphis Beat. And I thought, where in the world is this coming from? Because this song, you know, we're talking 40, 50 years ago. And uh, found out there was a a cop show a tv uh cop show called memphis beat and they used that song for the theme song and up until the present i still don't know how they got it i i figured they just went in the archives you know looking for songs and they found this song with the same title as the as the show memphis beat and it worked for them because it kind of had a real southern musical background in it and it lasted for a couple of years and uh we got uh Got some nice royalties off of it, but it, it, it another great thing about Memphis Beat was in two thousand and fourteen they had a contest in Memphis uh the top hundred songs written about Memphis, and I mean there' have been some great songs, and Memphis Beat was the number one song out of the top hundred so that was I thought that was really cool since since we were al and I were from there, and uh had the number one song about Memphis ever written,
0: yeah and cat mo performed it as the theme song of the right, TV yeah. show.
1: right yeah he was the theme th- he did the theme for the tv yeah. show
0: that's to me it's just like one of those great stories where, like technically the story's all o- already over uh-huh. but then there's a new chapter being written about a song that happened a long time ago
1: oh it's amazing yeah i mean that was just like she thinks i still care who would have dreamed you know and when, when it first came out in 1963 people would still be recording it today so that's one nice thing about the music business.
0: Yeah. There's many other great songs you wrote, and many of them went to country number one, too. And I would just like to to name a couple of my personal favorites, and I, I, I'm wondering if you might be able just to kind of tell the story behind it, if there's any. And uh, one is uh, The Door is Always Open by Dave and Sugar. How did that one yeah, come
1: about? Uh, bob mcdill and i wrote that song and uh, i don't remember i don't remember what what idea we got to write it we just bob and i wrote a lot of songs together and that just happened to be one of the songs and i remember i took it to jerry bradley uh who was a producer and running rca at the time and uh, he was producing uh dave and sugar and he liked the song for him and cut it and that was uh i believe that was if if not their second if not their if not their first, it was their second number one record. Uh and we had a few more we've had a few more records on that. Jamie Johnson did it uh a couple of years ago and then uh Waylon, Waylon recorded it. Uh group called Tennessee Pulley Bone recorded it. So it turned out to be a nice copyright too.
0: Yeah. And another one is uh Keeper of the Stars. Uh, Tracy Bird recorded that in 19- oh, yeah. 1994, and it became another number one hit.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that's probably uh, it's probably one of my favorite songs that I've written because it's about my philosophy on life, you know, because I'm a believer, and uh, we wrote it. And uh, there were three of us, actually, that wrote the song, Karen Staley and Danny Mayo, who died a few years ago, and uh, myself. And I remember Danny, uh, we were writing one night, and he said, "I got this title, and I don't know what to do with it." And I said, "What is it?" And He said, "The Keeper of the Stars." And I said, "Man, that's a great title." And I don't, I don't know how. I mean, it, it had to come from God. I just said, "When he said that, I just said it was no accident me finding you," and that and that got us started on it. So, uh, so we wrote it, and we were we were having trouble uh, trying to come up with a good bridge on it. And and Danny got Karen Staley and she got with us and 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 came up with the bridge idea and uh it worked out it was a it was a, i think it was tracy bird's biggest record ever
0: yeah you just mentioned that you're a man of faith and although you're not necessarily known as somebody writing christian music per se this is a good example of it finding its way into you into your music how You know, I think more in general, faith as an inspiration. You know, for you as a creative person, is that something you can always draw on?
1: Yeah, I think so. Well, I just, I just, my 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 faith is that I just want to, I want to write songs. I don't, I want to write songs that are that are good and songs that are honorable uh, and better songs. And if that tells you anything, I don't know, but uh, I think I think my faith especially in the latter years, uh, has had an influence on how I write songs. And, you know, like, and a lot of times there are are a few few things I've written probably that, uh, you know, you could just... uh, They could actually be Christian songs, but they're, you know, they're not. I've never thought of myself as a Christian songwriter. Uh, I write songs with a Christian philosophy sometimes.
0: Yeah, another song that I've goes a little bit in that direction is a, in a different light that doug is my record that
1: of uh, Andreas of all the songs that have been recorded that that is my favorite recording I thought that was I thought it's one of the neatest records I ever heard just just the way it was produced uh and I'm trying to let's see yeah doug stone Doug, doug Stone did it and uh who was the producer I'm trying to think of who the producer was uh doug johnson doug johnson produced it and i just i just love that i just love the arrangement on that record and it was it was you know like a lot of times you you get a lot of songs cut sometimes you might be a little disappointed and this is this is probably uh the most favorite song i've ever had recorded as to how it was recorded i just loved it and it was a it was a big record in fact uh there's a funny story about that song uh doug had he had an album out it had been out a while and uh this i think they put it they put it in the album and i think it was the fourth or fifth single released out of the album and when this when this song was released out of the album, it just just took off i think it was a double platinum album at the time
0: yeah, and that's whenever you got to perform that that one. That's one of my favorite ones to you know, to
1: listen with. Yeah. It's with what it's what I love to sing it. It's fun singing.
0: Yeah. There's one more that I don't think I've ever heard you play, but it's one of my favorites and that's someone like you that Emmylou Lou Harris. Oh yeah.
1: yeah. Alan and I wrote that one. And uh yeah, Emmylou Lou did it and it was uh it was a nice song and she did it quite a few years ago. And I'm I don't think uh we never, I'm, i can't recall at this time if there was even another recording of it uh that i'm aware of but uh yeah she had a she had a great record on it
0: are there any other songs that are your personal favorites but not necessarily the best known songs this is any any one or two that come to mind
1: oh wow uh i've got i've got one real sentimental favorite uh it was not a hit i recorded on an album but it was a song called dana and it was about my daughter and i remember I, i wrote the song when she was about six years old and i was just thinking about she's gonna grow up and get married and i'm gonna lose her someday and uh that was one of my and nobody's ever heard of that song you know it's it's in one of my albums i couldn't even tell you right now which album it's in but uh it was a it was kind of a favorite song of mine
0: yeah. so we're here at creative workshop studio buzz casing studio and i know that you and buzz go back a long ways too how did the two of you meet and how would you maybe elaborate on you guys friendship a little bit
1: well yeah it's you know he was he was one of the first guys i met I was still I was still living in Memphis, and I was writing I was writing when left Jack uh, uh, as as far as writing I was writing Alan and me both were writing for Screen Gems, and uh, we came up here Screen Gems had an office here, and uh, we came up to do a demo session, and I met Buzz I'm, I think I met him on one of the first trips up here he was a background singer of course Buzz has done everything you know but he he did. A, a lot of background music and we got him and he was on i think he was on my first screen Gems demo session up here and uh gosh that was oh wow that was probably uh in the maybe the mid 60s uh but i i moved here in 69 but but i i don't even remember buzz and i just really hit it off and i mean we we're we're closest friends today as you know and uh we, we've been friends forever, and he even cut a couple of my songs, and, but he's always he's produced, he's produced stuff on me, and uh, we just uh, we've done a lot of stuff musically, plus we're just we're just good friends uh, out of the music business. We see quite a lot of each other. We do a lot of stuff together, but uh, he's had a great career himself.:
0: Yeah <clears throat> And the two of you did an album of you recreating some of your biggest songs as a songwriter. And as an artist too, yeah. that I really like is kind of a anthology of Dickie Lee, if you will, but new recordings of those songs.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, some of the old hits and all. Yeah. And we also did an album, Andres, uh, quite a few years back, called Again. Uh, and it was, uh, in fact, I got an email from a disc jockey in Australia just yesterday, uh, a female disc jockey, and she said. I just played, I just played uh, the title song out of your album again, and she said, I play a lot of your songs out of this album because it's, it's the only album I have of yours over here. So <laughs> I, I emailed her back. And I said, if you would like, I said, I'll be happy to send you some more Dickie Lee CDs. So uh, hopefully I'll hear from her, and uh, I'll send her some. Yeah.
0: And Buzz and you also shared a love for golf.
1: Oh yeah, we're two of the worst golfers in the world, but, but I'm but I'm better than golf than Buzz. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just to set the record straight. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, is is golf and you know just the lifestyle of it and being able to go out in nature and, and relax is that something that kind of balances your creative side some or how, what what do you get out of spending time on the golf
1: course? Oh, I think, well. First of all, I just love it. I love to play golf. And, you know, I, I love to be outdoors. Uh, I grew up on a farm, and I've, I've always loved outdoors. When I was a kid, I'd fish and hunt. And since I came to Nashville, I've had very little time for that. But uh, I love to get out on the golf course. I've got a lot of friends I play with up here, and, and Buzz and I play a lot together. And it's just it's relaxing. To me, it's like therapy. You know, you just go out and, and, and uh, do something a little different and i think it ref- i think it refreshes me
0: you uh, got several awards during your career but one that certainly sticks out is your induction into Nashville songwriters hall of fame in 1995 uh, what did that honor mean to you uh,
1: i probably that's probably the greatest honor i've ever had as far as the music industry is concerned and i had no i had no clue I never even thought of being in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and uh, what made it even more special was was Jack Clement. He was the inductor, you know, when when I was inducted into the into the Hall of Fame. But uh, it caught me completely by surprise. I just uh, I couldn't believe it, and I I still think there's so many people much more worthy than I am that are not in there. Uh, but I'll take it. I'm glad I'm in there.
0: Yeah, is is songwriter the one thing that you consider yourself more than anything else musically?
1: Probably, I just think singer songwriter. Uh, I I love being on stage. I love singing, singing my hit songs, and, and I love writing songs. And, uh, to me, it's uh, writing is it's it's almost to me it's like a puzzle. It's trying to put a puzzle together, you know, and it's it's fun. Uh, and i've been so blessed to have been surrounded by so many great songwriters in this town who i've really learned a lot from uh especially bob mcdill taught me bob mcdill taught me not to settle for less you know stay with it uh and boy it's hard to stay with it sometimes you just you just keep going on and on and uh i remember writing with bob uh we've written so much together but you know we we might be in a room all day long and not even not say two words uh but then i found out later on something from the subconscious will come out that you'll come up with later and probably if it had not been for those times of silence we would have never arrived at what we arrived at so i you know you i i know when i first when i had my first couple of hits i thought oh my gosh i'll never be able to do this again you know how's this going to happen and you yeah i I kind of got through that terror mode and you think well you, you just stay with it it's work you know it's 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 not easy but it's it's fun at the same time it's uh i always i always thought of uh writing songs is kind of like the game of scrabble you know you play scrabble you try to put these words together and i've always tried to keep it simple which is not very hard for me to do as simple as i am but you think in the game of scrabble it's all the little words you put in the right place where you score all the points and i think uh, i try to keep that simplicity about my songwriting and just uh just come up with lines that really mean something
0: yeah you've Co-written a lot of songs, I think, especially here in Nashville. But you've also written a lot of songs by yourself, including "She Thinks I Still mm-hmm. Care." Um, what What's the difference to you in completing a song by yourself versus collaborating on it?
1: I th- I think uh, I think probably if you write something by yourself that that you really that that, that especially successful. I, I, I get a little more sense of fulfillment out of that. I've, now, I've, I've co-written more hits than, than songs I've written by myself. But when you when you write, when you co-write, I mean, that's fun, too, because that's, that's the thing today especially. Uh, but when you co-write, you have to be careful because it, it's easy to get a little lazy and let, and let your partner, wait for your partner to come up with something, you know. And, and when you're writing by yourself, it's all up to you. And, and you've got no uh, there's no feedback. You can't feed off somebody sitting across from you. Uh, but that makes it harder. I think writing by yourself is harder. Uh, but I think when you do write by yourself, you probably tend to, tend to really get a little more into it and work a little harder trying to come up with the very thing that works. And sometimes when you're co-writing, uh, you, you've got somebody you can depend on too. So, but they're they're both great. They're both fun, and they're both satisfying.
0: Yeah, and you you and your song have influenced a lot of songwriters coming after you. Are there certain songwriters that were an especially big influence on you, or somebody you kind of look up to?
1: Oh wow, there there there's so many. Uh, in fact, you know what's really funny? I've, I've got close friends today that that i looked up to that uh just knocked me out bob mcdill i think bob mcdill is one of the greatest writers that ever hit this town and and i'm so close to him i, I think i don't regard him as much as i should at times but when i stand back and look at some of the songs he's written it's just fantastic uh don slitz is another one and pat alger is another one as far as as far as modern writers but you know back uh years back i remember uh, one thing I'll always regret: I met Harlan Howard, uh, and and he asked me he asked me one day. He said, uh, "Why don't he said I'm going to give you my telephone number?" He said, "Let's get together and write and try to write some songs." And uh, I said, "Okay." And I never called him because I was so in awe of him, I was afraid that I'd embarrass myself just writing with him. So that's something that I really regretted that I never that I never got with him and tried to write.
0: When you write, or especially, I guess, when you wrote all through the 70s and 80s, were you specifically targeting an artist a lot, or were you just kind of trying to write the best songs and after completing it, seeing who it might work for?
1: Well, you know, I've found out there there were a lot of times I was targeting artists, but, but nine times out of ten, they're never the ones that recorded the song, you know, and uh, I finally quit worrying about that and just tried to write good songs because i remember uh one song that, that bob and gill and i wrote called i've been around enough to know that john snyder had a number one record on uh we were writing it we were writing this song we thought we thought this was a female song you know and, and there were a couple of females that recorded but john snyder uh did it and had a monster record with it and uh yeah you, you'll 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 try to write songs for certain people sometimes but it seems like uh when you're done with it if it gets recorded it's usually somebody else that records it i don't know that's it's i don't know why but it's probably just the fact that you're targeting somebody probably helps you to write something though it helps you to get going and and finish something uh but usually they don't do it somebody else does and and you know you think too i know that i've started writing songs sometimes thinking i want to do this for so and so and even before you get through the song you're thinking of other people that could do this too you know so uh you to answer your question no usually you target a song you usually don't wind up with who you're thinking of
0: yeah today are you still writing occasionally
1: i'm right i'm writing a little bit i'm not i'm not writing as much as i have been uh but i i've I've gone i've gone a few years here really without writing anything but it's funny i've just started writing again a little bit and i've had some people come to me and say hey let's write and i think well i don't know but uh i've written a couple of things just recently uh that i feel really good about but i tell you the music today is so different Pretty much from the way I write, I feel like you know I'll never get anything recorded again today, and I'm you know I'm not worried about that. Uh, But uh, I'm I'm, I've kind of started back writing a little bit. You never know what might happen. Uh, I'm not even writing with the thought of, boy, I hope I can get a record on this. I'm just writing just because I love I just love to write. Uh, Maybe something will happen with some of the stuff. Maybe it won't. I don't know.
0: Yeah, one thing that amazes me every time I see you perform, is your voice still sounds like the records, even <laughs> when you sing your very early stuff. I mean, are you just a lucky guy, or are you just trying to be healthy? Uh, because usually that doesn't happen, but well, you still sound like the guy who sang those great songs in the late 50s.
1: Well, I, I still sing them in the same keys I recorded them in. And, and i i don't know i think uh you know they say you know uh use it or lose it and you know i've never stopped singing i'm I'm still out on the road i'm I'm, i don't do as many shows nearly as i used to but i still do a few shows every year and uh i'm always i'm always singing i'm always keeping my voice and i and i work out i've worked out my whole life ever since i was 13 or 14 years old uh and and i think that's probably one thing that's helped me but like your you know your voice i mean your throat you've got your vocal cords they're muscles and you gotta you gotta keep them going if, if they're gonna sound right i think so i don't know uh some people you know have seemed seem to have lost their voices as they get older and uh some don't and i i can't explain that i i just know that i have I've taken pretty good care of my voice and I have worked out you know, and I've been blessed with good health and and I would have to think that that's that's part of it and just singing all the time I never quit singing,
0: yeah, and now I heard that your music might make it into space. <laughs>
1: that's that's a pretty funny story i've well i've I've got a i've got a fan uh he emailed me and he's he works with with nasa and the space program and he just he he just he emailed me one time he was telling me he he really liked my my music and all and he said he said would you like would you like for one of your songs to go to mars and i said what do you mean you know we were emailing back and forth and he said we're sending a we're sending a flight to Mars. In fact, in 2018, the month of May, uh, and he said, uh, you know, they're going to take pictures, and of course, it won't be manned by people, but it'll it'll be you know it'll land on Mars and do all kind of experimental stuff, pictures and everything. And he said, would you like would you like for one of your your records to go to Mars? And I said. I think that'd be fantastic, you know. Maybe I'm probably the first artist that would have a record on Mars. I don't know if I'll sell any up there or not though, but uh I think it's pretty cool. I think it's I think it's just really fun and it's a fun thing to talk about.
0: If there's one Dick Healy recording or a Dick song that needed to make it up there, which one would it have to be? Well he
1: asked me, he said which he said, which song which song would you like to go up there? And I said, You know what? I said just the chance that I've, I've got a chance to get a record to Mars you pick I don't care. So I don't know what he, I don't know what he's gonna pick.
0: Thank you so much Dicky for for spending your time with me today and sharing all these wonderful stories about your career and your life in music and I would like to wish you all the very best for everything happening in the future and hopefully uh, I'll get to hear you perform many more times.
1: Thank you, Andres. It's been a pleasure being here. I've really enjoyed it. This was the
0: 15th episode of the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. We taped it at Buzz Kaysen's Creative Workshop Recording Studio in Nashville. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Until next week.